Chapter 19 of Juggernaut, A Veiled Record. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Juggernaut, A Veiled Record by George Carey Eggleston and Dolores Marborg. Chapter 19 From Helen's Diary. Washington, 18 something. We have been here three weeks today. The entire time has been occupied in settling and furnishing the house. In the meantime, we have been stopping at the Arlington. We are finally settled and have been in the house now for a week. It all seems a glorious dream. I believe that there is no home in Washington so beautiful as ours. It is beyond everything I have ever dreamed of. The first night we stayed here, I reviewed all our married life. Saturday night, after I went to bed, I lay there thinking of all that has come and gone in this dear time. First, our weeks in New York, where a new life opened for me. Then, our return to Thebes, where we had both known poverty and a stern necessity for management. There has since been no such stern necessity. After our first return, things seemed to develop in so gradual and natural a manner that only Saturday night as I lay in bed, comparing the rose draperies, the shaded light, the faint perfume and luxurious room with a little bedroom far away, and its cretonne curtains, its ordinary little lamp, its moderate comfort, I felt wonder and amazement and, what, regret? I do not know. Perhaps for someone shared that little ordinary room with me. Someone I loved. And as I thought, I half turned to find myself quite alone. It was no longer the thing to share my room. Yes, I think it was regret that I felt. He was very near, only a little corridor between, but perhaps he was asleep. And if he slept, I could not put my hand on him and feel comfort in the touch. Yes, I think it was regret. With the new house, a new custom had been inaugurated, a custom of division. I will admit the superiority of the custom, but not its capacity to satisfy. Edgar had said, I think it's best, dear, that my apartment should be distinct from your own for the sake of your comfort. I come in at all hours of the night and must necessarily disturb you, and it makes me feel constantly guilty. I think I cannot convey the hurt that this gave me, though I knew absolutely that this suggestion was prompted by his great love for me, and so we fell to speaking of your room and my room. I have not known one less caress, one less expression of his love for this being so, but it is your room and my room for all that. I shall become accustomed to it and prefer it so. Gladys says I will. I shall become used to it, of course. It is not quite so strange to me even now, but that Saturday night it was very new and very sad. I felt then that it would never be anything else. It is hard to become used to speaking of things, 
or thinking of them as other than ours. When the material things of our lives become separate, it seems to break the unity of the intangible things, the thoughts that are mutual, the spontaneity of emotion, affection. Perhaps it will not seem so after a time, but it is hard to think otherwise now. For some reason I have a dread of a time when I shall no longer find the new way strange and sad. I think of the nights in the cottage, when one of us happened to be wakeful, restless. The other always knew it instinctively, and awoke. Then there were few troubles or causes of wakefulness that a touch of the hand or a tone of the voice from the other could not banish. Then we could always divine, without any awkward efforts to discover, if the one was happier without the other's consideration. Now it is different. I should experience almost as strange a sensation in entering his room as I should have felt before we were married. I tried it last night. I heard him come in after one. I sit up in my room if he is late, for I cannot sleep and know that he is not safe. I sit in my own room that he may not know that I wait. It would worry him, did he know. The other night he opened my door softly, thinking me asleep, and just intending to look at me, and instead of being asleep I was sitting by the fire, thinking of him. He seemed startled to find the room lighted, and coming to the fire and taking my hands in his, said in a tone of anxiety, "'Why, dearest, you should not wait for me like this. If I feel that you do, I shall be unable to attend to business properly after midnight for thinking of you here, awake, waiting wearily for me alone.' He said it with so much of anxiety and pain in his face and voice that it suddenly filled me with a great longing to sob in his arms but it was too late to sob then, at least in his arms, and he looked too tired and worn. Presently he said good night, and I sat alone. He left me that I might go at once to sleep. I decided that he should not have any anxiety of that kind again, so now I go to bed and lie awake until I hear him come up the stairs. He always opens the door, and I can always tell by the light from the hall whether he is very weary or would like to talk to me. He cannot tell from the door whether I am asleep or not if I am quiet. If he looks very tired and as though he had started for his room, I say nothing. If not, I say, I am awake, dearest. He is very anxious to have me work into the social life of the city. I understand things far better than I did a few years ago, when we took the New York trip. Far differently. I know that society in Washington means business. I am incapable of understanding the business, but I can learn certain means by which it is carried on. I have been impressed more and more every day of my life with Edgar's greatness and my own inferiority, and every day of my life I have taken a new resolution to be with him in his greatness, if not of his greatness. I do not think I care much for his greatness, 
but for him instead and he and greatness are inseparable i remember involuntarily at times that night in the hotel years ago when the feeling came over me that we had come to a fork in the road and i must decide whether to go alone or with him the time is past when i must make such a decision but now i must keep up with him in the road we travel together he must not have to wait for me and he would not go on without me and i know that he could not live unless he went on he has planned many things for the coming season in which i must not fail him i can assist him by social success the season is still weeks in the future things are at a standstill just now socially i have a terrible fear that i must fail him this fear consumes me agonizes me i dare not think too much about such a possibility until i have to i may not have to just now i am torn with anxiety end of chapter 19 recording by roger meline